Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. We are here to talk about Tour of Norway, the ladies' tour of Norway that happened over the weekend, and a couple new and exciting transfers. Before we get to that, I'm Abby Mickey. I am joined by Gracie Elvin. Gracie? Hey, guys. Oh, my um, intros are so bad. I really need to work <laughs> on that. <laughs> and Amy Jones. I don't know. I've had some shockers in the past as well. The earlier that we record the podcast, the more fascinating the intros are for sure. So before we dive into all the fun stuff, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. Watching the beautiful landscapes in Norway this weekend, I started looking up places I wanted to visit around the race before I realized not super easy to travel these days. It's hard to get out and see new places at the moment. With Zwift, I can still ride in a variety of different worlds in France, New York City, and the Makuri Islands. Transport yourself to amazing locations, ride through jungles and up volcanoes without leaving the house, all with Zwift. And the best part, you can ride with your friends all over the world on Zwift. I remember during the lockdown last year when I was stuck in the United States and Tom's was in in his... um. Spain apartment all by himself, we were still doing rides together. And if you do a setup where you meet for a ride, you can make it so you're riding the same speed no matter who's going whatever watts. So that was really nice because otherwise I couldn't have ridden with him. So Zwift, great for riding with friends all over the world when you can't get to them. Thanks so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode. All right, tour of Norway. This race was amazing. I, I loved it. I loved every second of it. Well, first of all, a lot of live coverage. We'll get into that. But I think first we should start at the top and work our way down. Anami Van Vluten won the overall by winning the third stage as predicted. Uh, she was unbeatable on the 11 kilometer long climb. And by doing so, took the overall in the end. No one could really challenge her on the last day. Awesome result. I know going into the Olympics, I was a little bit, uh, not critical, but a little bit questioning her form given how she was riding earlier in the season. But her decision not to race the Giro and her training before the Olympics has really allowed her to peak right in time for the Olympics, obviously, a TT gold medalist. And now she's won the Ladies' Tour of Norway and extended her lead in the World Tour jersey. So looking good for the Worlds for her. We'll see. But she won the overall. Thoughts? Opinions? Amy? <laughs> okay, I'll go. I'll take it. Um, yeah, I mean, interesting. I, I guess it was like a race where you had riders who, winning who like you don't normally see winning, and then you had the race overall won by the person who wins all the time. So it was like a contrast. But that third stage with that massive climb was always just going to decide it, and then the next stage was always going to just be kind of like nothing to do with the GC and that's kind of how it worked out but I mean yeah Anna Meet Van Vluten back and doing a classic thing but I was pretty impressed with Ashley Mormon Passio and the way she could follow it right until I don't know how many cases ago it was click longer than we normally see somebody following Anna Meek for um but yeah she's clearly back back on form I mean she wasn't not on form was she she won the bloody time trial in the Olympics. yeah I think Ashley's probably so. having her best season <laughs> the funny thing about Anamique and how we've been critical of her this season is if it was anyone else we we would be like they're having a great season like she won Flanders still like yeah maybe she didn't ride away from everybody in the early season races but she still won Flanders like she won also, the race the week before Flanders. So it's not like she's, you know, not riding well. But we have been critical of her this year just because she's not been just riding away from everybody, which we don't know if yeah. that's because she's not riding well or because everyone else is riding, like, catching up with her, which would be awesome. I mean, the everyone said that the level of the Peloton is just higher last year and this year. But... Yeah, when it came to that climb, 
it's still such a specific effort that no one can yet beat her. And Anna Vanderbregen, if she'd been there, it would have been a battle between the two of them. But it was really impressive to see Ashley holding on for as long as she did. And honestly, the most one of the most impressive rides on the day for stage three, which we'll, we'll talk about two, one and two in a second, was Marlon Russo finishing fourth, only 44 seconds behind Anamique. And I think that climb was not, it, it did kind of flatten out a little bit at the top. Like it was a great climb for someone with just raw power and someone who's good at time trialing especially the way that the stage was raced. There was a couple people who tried to get off the front before the climb, but they never really got much of a gap. Brody Chapman tried, um, but the the way that they rode it, they just rode into the climb as like a mass start TT climb, basically. Yeah, there were some pretty impressive lead outs from a few teams going into that climb, and I, I'm surprised it, it wasn't a smaller group earlier just because of the speed they hit the climb. Like most riders would have been hurting in the first couple of kilometres, but Anamik didn't really blow it up until 4K to go. So there was still quite a, a strong front group there. And, you know, Kristen Faulkner was really trying to set the tempo, I think, just to preserve her GC as long as possible. Yeah, the group stayed quite large until, until like midway through the climb, which was surprising. And I think it's also a product of the climb, not so much the maybe a little bit the peloton but the climb was also not you know super steep it wasn't like very very selective in the end it was van vluten's attack well ashley's attack countered by van vluten that kind of decided the day which again we knew was going to happen but it was was a very, very exciting finale in the race, for sure. Going back to the tactics was what um, Canyon Sram again, doing the most for the least. Like, Ella Harris was doing such a good job, like, dragging everyone and hurting everyone at the bottom of that climb. And I was just looking at the results again, and they didn't have anyone in the top ten on that stage. They do this a lot. I. <laughs> It's good practice, though. I just want to say Movistar. I like how they race, but yeah, they do probably spend too many bickies for what they need to be doing in the race. But it's certainly helping people like Ella Harris to be, get get stronger, and, and she might be the one they'll be riding for in a few years' time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, she did yeah. a great job, but I don't know who was meant to finish it. <laughs> Not to like backseat direct. Canyon SRAM. But what if they just like swapped around who does what effort at what point and they, you know, use someone else at the bottom of the climb and let we know Ella Harris is a really incredible climber. I mean, we saw it at Suntour. Yeah, we saw it at the Herald Suntour. Mm. She had an incredible ride there on that final climb on stage two. And so we know she's a good climber. I mean, Colorado Classic, she was also really strong there. So I wonder if they just swapped it around, you know, let her go last in the lineup. <laughs> yeah, well, I think if you don't have a clear lead, like if Cassia is not at the races and, and maybe whoever else they deem as the leaders in their team, when they're not at those races, like these stage races are perfect places for change of tactics. Um, and that was something I was always trying to spruik in my team is like, why don't we try something new? Because, you know, what have we got to lose? So it, I would like to see more teams, you know, backing some of the more development riders to go for it and get that experience of what pressure is and what it feels like to be protected. And we did see a couple riders who don't usually get to go for it, go for it. I'm thinking specifically of Rihanna Marcus, who won stage two. She's been on big teams for years at this point. I mean relatively big teams she is almost always working for someone else but when given the opportunity she was incredible on stage two i mean her and um bionique the french writer yeah yeah they when they were off the front on stage two and bionique kind of they they were getting brought back and 
Audrey Cordon Rago and Bionic, they just kind of were like, yes, we're getting brought back. And Rihanna was like, I'm not getting brought back. And just like kept riding and won the stage. And it was partially, I think, uh, a lack of teams really wanting to step it up and and like work on the front. Team DSM seemed like the only team that was really like, all right, yeah, we've got the numbers. We have a good sprinter. And they clearly could have done well they got second on three of the four stages but i was really impressed with rihanna marcus on stage two and just throwing it all at the race and then she still rode really well the next day when she was in the leader's jersey um so it's it's cool when there's a leader missing and the teams do kind of switch it up and we saw that with yumbo visma not having mariana voss at the race yeah yeah and i think the uh the Olympic, sorry, yeah. I think the yeah. Olympic road races inspired a few people as well with their, you know, just a bit like what you were saying. Abby's like, I'm not going to get brought back. I'm going to attack this group. I know I'm stronger than everyone else here, so I'm not going to wait around to get swallowed up again by the bunch. And it's cool to see it playing out. You know, only a few weeks post probably the most dramatic moment in women's cycling this year, if not ever playing out in these other races so it's really cool to see riders who are capable and strong being able to step up if their leaders aren't there and take and make the most of those early breakaway opportunities and the bunch doesn't quite get it right to bring them back yeah the Kiesenhofer effect yeah exactly Kristen Faulkner did the exact same thing on stage one I mean she when her break was getting brought back she did the exact same thing as Rihanna Marcus and was kind of like yeah no I don't feel like it like they were really close to getting brought back all of them and it was a little bit different her attack when she left her breakaway mates behind but she still i mean that was such a close finish between her and susan anderson suzanne anderson of team dsm she was i mean it was set like millimeters she won by millimeters and looking at the results, the time gaps, and looking at the finished photo, you wouldn't know that she'd been off the front the entire day before she was able to, you know, win the stage. And a great result for Kristen because she's she's brand new to racing, brand new. And we know that she's signed a multi-year contract on a European team. We don't know which one. Uh, that's not been announced yet. But she did put on her Instagram that she's moving to Girona for two years. So we know that... It's probably a world to her team. Um, but she's been kind of up there in a lot of races this year and finally got this massive result that kind of backs up what she's been capable of all season but hasn't yet been able to put together, I think, just because she's so new and also because it's that team has some weird dynamics going on with between her and Lauren Stevens. A lot of times they're like sprinting against each other for ninth and 10th, which I don't understand. But without, without Lauren Stevens at the race, Kristen was able to have full freedom and, and she won a world tour stage. So. Yeah. I mean, you're saying about like, finally she got the result. Like we think about riders that we talk about, having never won a world tour race for years and years. And she's only been on the scene for what, two years, if that, like properly. And I would say she's come out of the blocks and she's just like done it pretty quickly comparatively. And yeah, I mean, team tactics, but also I feel like maybe it's coming together for her tactically herself as well because we've seen her do some like questionable things before like pulling a break when she's the only two co-rider with like three sd works in it like you know the sd you know, works rider so maybe she's going, you're doing great keep it up you're doing great <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like damn okay are you after a contract okay. yeah, she's obviously got some physiological talent there because i think you do see green riders being able to pull off big results because they just don't have the pressure on themselves they're almost a bit naive to what's really going on in the bunch and they just get away with these bold moves because they don't realize how bold they are like I'm sure she did at the time but like 
when you have a lot of pressure on you and a lot of years of experience and you're just hungry for results, it's harder to get them sometimes. And when you have a less target on your back, you have a bit more freedom because your team isn't, you know, one of the top teams and you have that physical talent. Um, I would put Grace Brown in the same category. She's certainly more of a target now, but, you know, she's still pretty green as well and, and she's getting these big results last year or two um, and this year was really when she already was a bit more marked. Um, so it's cool to see riders just, you know, just going for it and, and looking like they don't have that weight on their shoulders yet. I mean, if you look at Kristen Faulkner's um, pro cycling stats, her first UCI race was Ardèche last year. That's September oh, yeah. of 2020. That's yeah. insane. That's like considering that she just won a stage of a world tour race and finished third on the general classification. That's so impressive. Mm -hmm. Look what that meant to Cecily Ludwig and Burgos. And like, how long has she been around trying to do that? And now you've got someone who like less than a year after their first UCI race is just like sick. Yeah. Just won a world tour stage. And if you kind of compare it to like, say Ashley Moman Passio, when was the last time she won a world tour race? She never yeah, has. Exact, well, that's really surprising and quite unfortunate. And I think the factor of a lot of different, the result of a lot of different factors. But if you kind of compare the two riders a little bit, it's, I mean, it's a lot of what Gracie was just saying. Ashley has had a target on her back her whole career, basically. And I would love to see her win a that would I would love to see her win a world tour race. There's so many, there's so many. And then riders like Kristen Faulkner show up and they win a world tour race and it's super impressive. And you're just like, oh man, she made it look not easy, but it didn't look hard, and it's freaking hard. I mean, yeah. We can talk. I to be fair. Go for it. I was gonna say to be fair to Ashley, like the the world tour's not been around that long. Yeah. And she's probably won races that would have been... Well, and she won a Giro know. stage this like year, which is usually a world tour race. Well, so. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's, um, it's interesting to see how she's changed her mentality, being in arguably a bigger team and having top more top riders around her. It's almost like that pressure's been taken off Ashley because she does. she's not the sole breadwinner for the team. Yeah. Or she's not overshadowed by Marina Voss. Mm. Yeah. But she was on CCC. Which is really yeah. surprising because you'd think, you know, Ashley on CCC with Mariana Voss would maybe have done the same thing as her being on SC Works with Vanda Bregan. But I think the fact that she's like maybe fourth on the list of SD Works riders in terms of who can who they're going to ride for, she was probably their number one at this race. And she maybe didn't deliver by winning the race, which on a big team like SD Works, it's kind of, I, I'm curious what the mentality would be if you come second. Of course, if you come second to Van Vluten, maybe different than if you've come second to some, to what if Kristen Faulkner had won the overall thing, that would be a different conversation on the team bus. But it's, it's fascinating that it took her move to SD Works to kind of elevate her to the rider that she's had the reputation of being for years and years, but hasn't been able to quite live up to that reputation. And now this year she's having an incredible season. And I feel like that world tour win is, it's just a matter of time for Ashley yeah. and say next year, Vanderbregen's not going to be on the team anymore. She's going to bump up a spot. Well, if Neve Fisher black doesn't take that spot from her, cause she's, she was also really impressive this week. I mean, she was, you know, not in the, not up there in the GC, but she's kind of been putting together these results that are very impressive for how young she is and also an indication of what she can be in the future with the right support and the right mindset. I think one more point too is... SD works may sometimes have questionable tactics, but they usually have good tactics and tactics that win races. 
And Ashley isn't particularly known for her good tactics historically. So I think being in a team that has a bit more control there, I think that's also a factor that's helping her and, and people like me, Fisher Black as well, like Anna Vanderbregen's really generous and she rolls the dice every race that she's at and she doesn't mind if she wins or if a teammate wins and also the likes of Chantal Black who's tactically very astute. I think having those people around really helps bolster any physical talent. And just having the SC Works jersey on your back, I'm sure makes you feel a lot more confident in yourself, in your team, in just what you can do, because that's, yes, you're proud to be on almost every team you're on, hopefully, but to have, to be riding for the number one team in the world and to be, you, you've been believed in to a point where you got on this team it does add a lot of confidence. Do you want to know my theory on why I need Fisher Black goes so well? Sure. I think it's because she listens to freewheeling. <laughs> yeah. I saw a really funny TikTok about the name Neve, and it was like, you see this name, you think it's me, and I think that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Because I definitely pronounced it like that last year. And then I got a Kiwi listener message me and say, no, you're wrong. It's an Irish name. Yeah, but it was a Kiwi listener. Kiwis can't claim yeah, that no, shit. Can't, but it was still a Kiwi listener that was like, I'm a fan of Neve Fisher Black. You need to say her name right. And I was like, oh, okay. you're right. She's pretty incredible. We should say her name right. <laughs> Instead of meme, which I still like. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, uh, the last kind of point to talk about uh from tour the ladies tour of norway is chloe hosking winning the final stage which was awesome because she hasn't raced since ghent wevelgem in march was the last time she started a race she's been out for months with COVID 19. she said in her post-race interview that she wasn't super sick but the team was very very cautious about her coming back uh too soon and kind of easing into it because there's a lot of damage that this virus can do to your body and your energy levels so they were very very careful with letting her race again and she loves to race i mean every single time she races she tweets it's race day. <laughs> She's so excited about racing. Her it's not just that. It's yo, it's race day. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of exclamation points. I love it. Yeah. I love how much she loves racing. When I saw that the other day, I was like, oh, that's been missing from my timeline. <laughs> yeah. And so it, like... was, it was awesome to see her even back to racing, like back on the start line of a race after months and months away. But then to win the final stage and the way that she did it was so awesome. I mean, Lucinda Brand, MVP for sure for that win. But Chloe also, the second she was on the front with, what, 400 meters to go, or maybe 500 meters to go, it was like, okay, she's she's mucked this one up. Like, she's on the front too early. But she said that this is maybe the fourth time that she's ridden this particular finish. She rode the She used the road to her advantage, having been stuck on the front too early. And it was a very, very impressive effort, but also just tactically the way that she used the road was really, really cool. I completely agree. And yeah, I was just stoked to see her on the start line finally. I know she's had to really tough it out the last few months and a lot of people wanted her to come home back to Australia, mostly her parents, but even people like me were like, come on, let's just go do some bikepacking for a little while. But she was, yeah, she just knew that it was worthwhile to stay for the last part of the season if she could get the recovery right. And, you know, COVID's no joke. Like you can get some pretty major issues, including heart issues, and that was something that they were closely monitoring. So I'm just so proud of her as a friend to, you know, see her have such a great comeback, but also just manage herself so well during the crap time too. So, and the way she sprinted, like watching the replay, it was just, I watched it a few times because it was very Mariana Voss-esque. But Chloe is an amazing sprinter in her own right. She's very smart on the bike and she completely nailed it. And, yep, definitely MVP to Lucinda Brand. It was, yeah, I squealed when I watched it because I was just so happy. 
<laughs> I shed multiple tears watching her post-race interview and talking about how mentally it was really, really hard this summer to be in Europe and not go home. And um, I mean, we talk at length about how hard it is for Americans and Australians particularly Australians um, and Kiwis to be in Europe and be racing full time. And especially during COVID where their loved ones can't come visit them. And um, for her, that would have been such a tough summer to get through without being able to race. And she's also had a roller coaster couple of years. I mean, she had to take a step back from the world tour when she joined rally last year, she moved out of Girona Tom's and I bought her fan. Like there was, she sold everything in her apartment. <laughs> like she was, she was done with Europe. Claims of fame. We did. We bought her fan. Like it was. It's. A great I just fan. love the addition of that <laughs> into the anecdote. Um, and and then to join Rally, win a bunch of races in 2020, even with the reduced calendar and rally not being world tour and the them not getting into a lot of the big races, she still won a ton of races. And then to take that, flip it around, join Trek Segafredo on a two year deal and move back into the world tour, move back to Europe and then get COVID and have her season just like halt unexpectedly. It's, it's really a, fairy tale win if you kind of look at both 2021 but also 2019 and 2020 all of it together it's yeah it's a very very good story yeah it's also great to hear that the team were taking it seriously in terms of like not pushing her to come back to racing that they were actually you know worried about her long-term health yeah yeah rather than just like getting her on a start line. So that's good to hear. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot that we still don't know about the after effects of COVID um, for athletes and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's important for them to be taking it seriously. And I know that Trek Segafredo, there was another rider that got COVID earlier in the year on the men's side and he was on a contract year and they were like, no, don't worry. And they signed him for two more years. Um, They were like, we, like, don't, don't stress. He was like, he didn't know when he was going to be able to race again. He didn't know he, he got really sick. Um, and whereas Chloe, I think didn't physically didn't get super sick, but the, the other guy, he did get really sick and they took his recovery really seriously as well. And they also, um, made sure that he was, he was, set for his contract and didn't stress about that so really cool i mean i am biased but really cool stuff from trek they continue to raise the bar when it comes to how they treat their riders which you know the bar's low but it's still <laughs> you know yeah. back in one years. <laughs> so tour ladies tour of norway overall i rate it uh nine out of ten baguettes Baguettes, salmons. Yeah, should be salmon. Oh yeah. man, who won the salmon prize? Like, was it Chloe? Like, <laughs> where was is it, the salmon? Was that huge bag of white stuff, like the or the huge white bag that looked really heavy on the podium? Was that salmon? I I tried. I tried to find out. I looked through the road book. I couldn't find where who won the salmon. If it's the most. Why does only item. one? Hang on. Do they not all get salmon? No, I don't think so. Oh. I think it's it's my suspicions is that when they were on the podium, I watched the entire podium presentation really hoping that the they would say who won the salmon prize. <laughs> because I know that in years salmon previously... Salmon watch with been... Mickey. <laughs> I mean, that is a lot of salmon, and salmon is delicious. <laughs> yeah. uh, I knew that in years previously, it was the most aggressive rider, because Julie Leth will often make the joke when she sees an attack going up the road, there goes the salmon. And in my head... <laughs> I do this. And so I knew no one, it's a podcast. No one saw what I did with my hands, but it's fine. Um, so I know like it has been the most aggressive rider, but I'm pretty sure that Chloe won like a whole big bag of salmon. And so did knee Fisher black. The two of them got white grocery bags that looked salmon's very in Girona, guys. I'm going looking for it. Yeah. Well, yeah, get on it. I wonder how they would get that home. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah I mean, come on, huh? nah. That's what the team totally buses not. are for with the fridge. Yeah. That's a, something that's very interesting about, about bike races is like the trophies that you win because no one who no one can ever get them home. No, it's a pain in the ass. I have two cobblestones somewhere. I think they're actually in Norway because I think Emma Johansson ended up taking them. <laughs> I never had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as bad as what Drenta used to do, though. They used to give out washing machines and other kitchen appliances because, you know, women cycling. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty I mean, sick. Cool. The service course gets a new washing machine. No, but yeah, that's true. Now, were they giving it to them because they were women? Ah, uh, here's an iron. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Your husband's work shirts. No, nothing was as bad, though, as going to the first ever La Course in Paris and getting the welcome, welcome pack and getting a an apron with the Tour de France logo on it. And I still have it. I think my mum has it somewhere. But I was just like, <laughs> wow. I know that men don't get aprons. <laughs> If only they'd given you an apron and also a book on how to make the perfect sandwich. Yeah, look. <laughs> <laughs> 2014, right. wasn't it? <sighs> I think we can move on from the ladies' tour of Norway um, and talk a little bit about some transfers. But before we do that, this episode is also brought to you in partnership with Hammerhead. To be the best requires more than strength and heart. It requires intelligence, anticipation, and the ability to see what others can't. Hammerhead's new climber feature was designed and developed in collaboration with the world's best climbers to visualize detailed gradient changes on climbs. Climber is now being used on the most iconic climbs in France and on the Hammerhead Carew 2 head units around the world. To celebrate the release of Climber and the Carew 2's debut in France, Hammerhead has created a limited run custom color kit to change out the look of your Carew 2. Whoa. Moir? Moir mode. That sounds fancy. With a blue and green textile pattern, this custom color kit stands out. If we're lucky, we might even catch a glimpse of the Hammerhead. That I don't have to say that because the tour is over. The fully loaded climber equipped Carew 2 is available now and for a limited time you can get the Hammerhead heart rate monitor for 50% off the purchase of a Carew 2. Head on over to hammerhead.io to get yours today. That's hammerhead like hammerhead easy.io. Thanks so much to Hammerhead for sponsoring this episode. All right, we didn't get to transfers last week because we had a lot to discuss, but there's been some fascinating transfers so far for the year of 2022. Lauren and I love silly season. I miss her right <laughs> now, but we should talk about some transfers. Should we start with the most recent transfer? Yeah, I'm going to say yes. It. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Leia Thomas to Trek Segafredo for two years. This is not super surprising. I think with Ruth Winder retiring, they were in the market for another American on the team. It's an American team. And although that rule no longer applies to women's world tour teams or women's UCI teams where you have to have the the most number, the highest number of nationalities has to be the where the team is registered. That was an old rule that's not in play anymore, but it's still an American team. So not super surprised to see Trek Segafredo pick up Leia Thomas, but this is an interesting move for her. She's only been on Movistar for one year after being on, can we even call it a, a Kit Polyka with everything that went down? I don't know. Bigla. Just Bigla. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Being Big on Bigla. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and then joining Movistar last year, and she's not had. I mean, as was probably uh, could have been anticipated, not had a lot of opportunities with uh, Van Vluten on the team and them being not similar riders, but kind of of the same mold, time trial climbery types uh, when it came to racing. Leah Thomas was a lot of the times working for, for Van Vluten. She wasn't at the Giro and didn't get any results there, but... I think for Leia, moving on to an American team is is a good move for her. I, I'm interested to see how she's going to fit in with the rest of the riders. Yeah, I'm really surprised at this move too. Um, but 
But the more I think about it, the less surprised I am. I think bringing up that point about potentially having class clashing goals with um, Anamique on Movie Star. There's been rumours that there's a little bit of discontent there in that team for various reasons. So, yeah, maybe she was offered a contract for Trek and Trek's really the dream team for most riders, so it'd be hard to say no. Yeah. I think actually Van Vluten was offered a contract for Trek. I, I don't know this. This is not insider knowledge. I've just heard the rumors for 2021 and turned it down because there were too many leaders on the team. Yeah, I would um, believe that. I'm sure Animic gets offers from pretty much every team. but <laughs> Yeah. But, I mean, I think Leah, it'll be interesting to see her continuing to progress as a rider. She's also relatively new to racing. Um I mean, I guess not anymore. She's been in the European Peloton. This is her third season, fourth season being there full time. But she's, she's, yeah, she's a, a bit of an interesting rider because she's really good at time trials, but doesn't win them. A very strong climber, but can't outclimb the top climbers. And I think joining a team like Trek is just going to elevate her strengths. She's got, she didn't exactly have anyone to learn from on Bigla. She maybe didn't have anyone to learn from on Movistar. I think if you look at the roster of Movistar, it's a lot of young riders who don't have anything to teach anyone because they're also new. I think going to a team like Trek, there are a lot more, uh, they spend a lot more time together and you can learn a lot more from top riders like Ellen Van Dyke, who's got an absolute plethora of knowledge to teach people and Audrey Cordon Margot, who's not going to sugarcoat anything. So I think for, for someone like Leia, who's got a lot of talent and she works very, very hard, but hasn't quite put it together yet. We saw at Strada Bianca in 2020 that she's incredibly strong, but maybe doesn't know how to gauge the efforts on Trek. She'll learn how to do that. So a good move, I think. Interested to see how it goes. The next signing from kind of like the big signing standpoint, Hannah Barnes to Uno X. This is a fascinating signing. I think Uno X up until announcing Hannah Barnes, they've only signed really, really young Norwegian riders, um, a Finnish rider and uh, Hannah Ludwig. Yeah. yeah, as well from Canyon Stram. So having Hannah Barnes on the team is an awesome move for this team because Hannah's, while she's not been winning races the last two years, three years, she's been in the Peloton so long and she knows every race inside and out. She knows every team inside and out. She's going to be such an asset to a young team like Uno X in terms of getting their feet off the ground and being being able to help these young riders on the team find their footing in the world tour peloton because they want to be world tour they've announced that they're aiming for a world tour license and by signing hannah barnes it's kind of they've picked a rider who is very underappreciated in my opinion in the peloton and uh she's going to be appreciated on a team like Uno X and she's been on Canyon Sram for like six years. No, that can't be right. 26, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. See six years. She's been on Canyon Sram for six years. Sorry. 2016. When, when did she sign? She was there. She signed with Canyon Sram the very first year that they existed, which was 2016. That was six years ago. That was 2016 was six years ago. ago. Was it five years ago? Welcome so to 2021. Yeah, but what is time? That was six years. I need to lie down. Okay. Do you um, feel old now? Don't even think I about how old you are. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. when you're um, on a team, when you're on a team for that long, like things start to stagnate, and making a move to a team like Uno X is potentially more beneficial for someone like Hannah than making a team to a move like Trek Segafredo, where she would kind of be in the same washing machine as she was in Canyon Stram, but maybe with a couple more heavy hitters. Moving to Uno X, she's going to have a lot more freedom, a lot more say, and she's going to 
there's a greater purpose in her move um, in kind of coaching these younger riders versus moving to a team with the sole purpose of being an, being a domestique again or winning races. There's like a selfless in a way. Yeah. It's not, um, well, dep- I guess it depends what kind of, it sounds like she's going into that kind of like captain kind of, mentoring i mean yeah because they're all like babies other than her at the moment they are like literally babies i think this is a great well, they can't remember 2016 then can they <laughs> nope i think she'll be a great team captain she's capable of winning races still she's probably doesn't want to keep riding for too many more years anyway she's yeah. a bit older now um and this might be a great <laughs> This is a great way for her to, you know, have a bit of leadership without too much pressure, be able to give back in in terms of helping and mentoring younger riders. Um, And it's just fresh. I think that Canyon SRAM team is very insular in a lot of ways and some riders have loved it and thrived and other riders just have not liked that management style at all. And, you know, maybe it worked for her for a long time and it's not working for her anymore. Maybe she's butted heads with Ronnie, which is, you know, not the first time that's happened with a top rider. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a really interesting move. And I actually think someone that you didn't mention going to that team, I'm pretty sure, is Suzanne Anderson. Yes, yeah, I was, I was going to mention that. But another really awesome signing for them, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I think with those two, with super fast legs and a bit more freedom because they don't have other bigger leaders there, I think they can be really capable of leading each other out (laughs) and getting some big results. Yeah. Yeah, I think Susan Anderson moving there is is another smart move for Uno X. She's Norwegian. It's a Norwegian team, so that makes sense. But also kind of like Canyon Stram, riders join Team Sunweb, Team DSM, and some of them don't necessarily thrive in that environment. And so for Suzanne Anderson, she's still super young. She's 23. And I think moving onto a team where she'll be more at home is going to be an instrumental move in her career for sure. Uh, the last big one that we got to talk about is Grace Brown to FDJ, Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope. A very, very interesting move. I don't think anybody saw her leaving Bike Exchange, but there's been some rumblings about the behind the scenes at Bike Exchange that we can not confirm yet, so we're not going to talk about. But Grace Brown's move to FDJ is is a fascinating one, I think, for FDJ they have been picking up good riders over the years. Obviously, Cecily Utrip Ludwig, uh, Brody Chapman. They've picked up some some very good riders, um, but they've still not been able to connect the dots and win a bunch of races um, and be up there in the races. Marta Cavalli was one of the best signings that they've ever had. Apparently, uh, we found out this season, <laughs> but. Well, from the Giro. She was incredible there. It was amazing. Anyway, so Grace Brown moving to FDJ, I think is going to put them on the map a little bit more, especially when it comes to the Spring Classics, which is not where they've thrived in the past. Yeah, it, it kind of just... They've, I feel like they've been steadily adding more firepower in that team, and this is just like the next step. They had, you know, They hadn't really... You wouldn't have put them up there, like right up there with like SD Works and Trek as like the top, uh, one of the top teams. But I reckon they're going to be, I don't know if that's about from this cliche, a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she went there. Ah. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think it's cool to see a team slowly building, you know, like it's happened in the past. Um, Bulls Dolmens was a very low-level team back in the day and they built up this amazing roster and they became, the you know, the toughest team to beat for years. And it's nice to see a bit more equality across teams, so a bit more top signings spread out across the teams. And I think with the inclusion of more World Tour team status is just going to keep improving that and make the racing better to have the better riders spread out across more teams. 
Um, but in terms of Grace Brown going to FDJ, it's uncommon for an Aussie to leave the Aussie team. It's a comfort zone and it's a comfort zone that I was guilty of. Um, I'd wish I'd changed teams just for experience and personal growth and to learn from um, new people. And I think that she's very sure of herself as a person and could see this as a great opportunity, even though it's early in her career. So I have a lot of respect for her for leaving the comfort zone relatively early and making a decision to suit her and not to, you know, feel safe or to do the right things in terms of selection for worlds or, you know, how all of those politics can play out. So I don't know, another factor too might be she might be in the same boat as Anamique last year. Anamique didn't particularly want to stay in bike exchange because of the signing with Bianchi from Scott and she'd put so much work into her time trial bike on Scott that she was quite afraid to go to the Bianchi time trial bike, especially in an, in an Olympic year. Um, and Canyon probably had a good option there and, you know, Canyon really wanted her. <laughs> um, so, yeah, maybe Grace is also, you know, becoming one of the world's best time trialists. She was fourth at the Olympics, only a few seconds away from the podium, and maybe she's looking for more in her equipment as well as, team culture and personal growth. So it could be a combination of a bunch of different things. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about the equipment thing, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, obviously, Canyon uh, for, for Van Vluten is a very forward-thinking company that is constantly adapting and changing and making their bikes better and making them more aerodynamic and trying things that maybe they'll work, maybe they haven't. We've all seen those ridiculous gravel bars, the hover bars. Um, and it'll be that's interest that's an interesting point, Gracie. With I wonder if LaPierre, which I'm pretty sure is the bike brand that FDJ rides, how they will uh adapt to Grace Brown being on the team as one of the only really, really good time trialists on that team. You have to expect that she had offers from other teams too with equipment sponsors that were also really good. So you have to wonder what's in the bargaining for the agreement. You know, maybe she has control over aero testing or componentry or anything like that. So there's more to it than money and equipment. It's it's really how they're going to support her in all different ways going forward for big events in world tour um, races and at championship events. And FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope has a um, has a reputation for being very, very um, for for catering to the riders and what they need and what they want, and adapting themselves to fit the riders, which is not something teams do very often. Um, when I chatted with Stefan Delcourt earlier in the year, he was telling me about how they. Um, they pay their riders enough to buy an apartment. That could mean a variety of different things, but they, they've been keen to pay their riders what they deserve to be paid for years rather than waiting for the UCI to make a mandated minimum salary. And like, like we said, they've been building for years and years. I remember when I tried to join the team, they were just like a tiny tiny little development team um they didn't have fdj as a sponsor yet it was just futuroscope and they've built the team up slowly and i think that that means that the base is more stable than say some of the other teams that start right off the bat and are like we're gonna we're gonna be world tour which there's some teams that do that and they have the backing of a men's team so it works like trek segafredo and yumbo visma um some other teams that will be interesting to see in the coming years, mostly next year, how they maneuver the world tour Peloton while not having the base that teams like FDJ have. I think, yeah, I think this move for Grace is, it's an interesting one, but I think in the long run, it's going to be great for the team and also for her. Yeah, no, that was... <laughs> <laughs> so boring. Women's cycling uh, is so boring. I was just like, I mean, <laughs> droning on. 
Sorry. I just did a massive yawn. <laughs> I do this thing. No I do this thing all the time where I'm trying to prove a point and I like say the same thing over and over and over again. No, oh my god, that wasn't actually yawning at you. No, I know, I know, I know, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that I I'm aware that I do this thing. No. <laughs> anyway. That's those are the transfers that we know of so far. No doubt there will be a lot more to come. And we we've got yeah, that's that's pretty much all we got for today. We've got a women's world tour race coming up again in like 13 days. The CMAC, CMAC Ladies Tour that used to be the Bulls Ladies Tour uh is coming mm-hmm. up I think the 24th the 24th, you're right. Yeah. On the 24th, the 19th is in three days. On the 24th, so less than 13 days. I don't know what I thought, 29. What the thought, hell? It's the third week of August. <laughs> <laughs> so next week, <laughs> next week, in in a week, in a little over a week, I'm just rambling at this point. In a little over a week, Fine. we have the next dates. world tour. Numbers. I don't know what dates and numbers are. We have the next world tour stage race. The CMAC Ladies Tour, which is a five-day race, while prologue and multiple stages. There's prologue, stage, uh, road stage, TT, road stage, roads, six, six stages. And I think it'll be a really great prep for the World Championships, which is a less ridiculously climby course than it has been in recent years. So Mm. I think, yeah. A tour in Holland is really going to set up anyone keen to be on form in Flanders for Worlds this year. There we go. Little sneak peek. We need a less ridiculously climby course for the Worlds. I don't understand why every single World Championships has to be like the most amount of climbing the World Championships has ever seen. It's like, no, all you're doing is neutralizing the race. Mm. If it's... If the race isn't super, super challenging, the terrain isn't super challenging, the riders will make it challenging, which is what we want to see. We yeah, don't want to see. Preaching to the like- choir here. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Chloe Hosking win the world championships this year. That's my That'd be- very early wish tip. Whatever. That would be quite the upset. Yeah. Save it for the world championships podcast, guys. <laughs> I'm just excited from her win. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was an awesome win. Uh, for me, maybe the best win of the whole ladies tour of Norway because of the background story behind it. Agreed. I mean, Rihanna Marcus's win was up there as well. Um, but Chloe's win was just something else if you know what went into it beforehand. So. Anyway, that's all we got. That is it for today. We will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Freewheeling Podcast. Thank you to Zwift and Hammerhead for supporting us. And thank you to you, the listeners, for listening. Bye.